I want to thank Pastor Ken for giving me the opportunity to say some things today. <clears throat> this indeed has been an uh, interesting week, has it not been? Uh, for everyone, not just Christians, but certainly for those of us that name the name of Christ, this has, been, uh, this has certainly been uh, landmark material. I want to read a statement came out of the Supreme Court. I'm assuming that everybody in this room is aware of the recent developments that came out of Washington, D.C. this week, just on not only the health care issue, but also the marriage issue. So I, I take it for granted that we're all up to speed. I wanted to read a statement that was uh, <clears throat> made by one of the justices. This decision will go down in history as one of the great judicial landmarks in the forward progress of our civilization. There will be no doubt an effort both in Congress and among the several state legislatures to nullify our decision here made today. And we will meet that practical problem of law enforcement for years to come. But this crucial decision will be the judicial foundation upon which our society will rest throughout the ages. Remarks made by a Supreme Court justice in 1918 as America entered the Prohibition era. They took away alcohol. Remember that? Remember that from history class? That was a big thing, wasn't it? Well, not that I remember. Here's another Supreme Court justice weighing in. Said a Supreme Court justice, We forthwith acknowledge our awareness of the sensitivity and emotional nature of this controversy and of the vigorous opposing views of Americans and of the deep and seemingly absolute convictions that this subject inspires. One's philosophy, one's experiences, one's exposure to the raw edges of human existence, one's religious training, one's attitudes toward life and family and of their values, and of the moral standards one establishes and seeks to observe, are all likely to influence and to color one's thinking and conclusion about our decision made this day. In addition... Population growth, poverty, racial overtones tend to complicate and not to simplify this problem. Our task, he said, speaking of a Supreme Court bench, our task, of course, is to resolve this issue by constitutional measurement, free of emotion and of a bias. He said, our Constitution is made for people of fundamentally differing views. And the incident of this court finding certain opinions natural and familiar or novel or even shocking ought not to conclude our judgment upon the question whether statutes embodying them conflict or coincide with the Constitution of the United States. We, on these merits, the district court held that the fundamental right of single women and married Persons to choose whether or not to have children is protected by the Ninth and is applied by the Fourteenth Amendment to the states. We, the court, concur. 
Justice Harry Blackman voting in favor of abortion, 1973. Been here before, haven't we? This is not new ground. One more. For we are presented today with an emotional issue to be judged against a pure command of the Constitution. The outcome of this can be laid at no door but ours. The hard fact is that sometimes we, the court, must make decisions that we may not like. We make them because they are not the right thing to do. Right in the sense that the Constitution, as we see it, compels the result. And so great is our commitment to this process that, except in the rare case, we do not pause to express distaste for the result, perhaps for fear of undermining a valued principle that dictates the decision. This case today is one of those rare cases, said Justice Anthony Kennedy writing in concurrence with the Supreme Court's decision to allow flag burning in the landmark case Texas versus Johnson, 1989. We've been here before, haven't we? There are those of us that listened to the news this weekend and we sat in front of our televisions and we said, oh dear, what are we going to do? What now? What's our world come to? Well, as I was just saying to, where's Gary? There you are. What did we just say a moment ago? You know what you're going to do? You're going to get up tomorrow, you're going to go to work, and you're going to serve Jesus. Because that's what he's called you to do. I want you to look at this map. Now, I know these two maps are difficult. I don't know why the coloration doesn't quite come in, but that one actually, and I'm not good with colors. Those of you that know me, I'm challenged in that area, but... That map up there shows the rest of the world, and I hate for you to get a crink in your neck. Can you see the rest of the world on this map, or is it just me? Okay, but that map you can. Anybody want to take a guess what that map is? It's a map that the Pew Research Foundation released recently. I don't want to take a guess what that is, why, why some, one side is colored and one side isn't. Want to take a guess what that is? Anybody brave enough to venture? (laughs) Those are the countries on our planet that right now observe gay marriage. We could stop right there, couldn't we? There's so much there to be said about technology. Look at the access to technology right there. Look at the access to civil rights that's indicative of that map. Look at the types of economies that those countries have. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Are we that cleanly divided between east and west? Isn't that something? The clock is always our enemy. But I want to get three things done with us in our class period today. Number one, I want to remove any expectations that you and I have in this room today for a more Christian government and or society. We want to dispel those. There's nothing wrong with hope. There's nothing wrong with prayer. But in terms of expectation, now that's a new ball game, is it not? I want to take at least a portion of our time this morning and, and walk through 
the rationale that the Supreme Court used to make that decision about marriage yesterday. I'm going to walk through and, and hopefully make our congregation a little bit more understanding of well, how, did they, how did this happen? How did they get there? And hopefully we can show some type of progression that makes it more clear in your mind. Thirdly, I want to be careful to remind us of our citizenship. And I put a two behind that because are you and I not dual citizens? And I'm not talking about some of us may be Canadian and some of us may be Mexican. Some of us may be Polish. I'm talking about a citizenship that the New Testament clearly refers to as we are citizens of not only the country in which we reside, but we're also citizens of where we're going to be eternally. Both of these citizenships lay a claim on us. And so how do we live underneath that? Okay, and we'll try to get through uh, as many of those as we, as we possibly can. Okay? But it's quiz time. I'm a teacher, so we always have quizzes. Last week I had opportunity to speak with you, and so here are three review questions from last week. Let's see how well you do. Number one. Modern interpretation of the Constitution is based upon which two processes? Talk to a friend. You, you can cheat. You can cheat. Which of those two processes are used today to interpret the Constitution? The Founding Fathers died a long time ago. We can't go back and say, what did you mean by that? When you said freedom of speech, what did that mean? Those guys aren't here. So how do we interpret those things anymore? What do we use? Have an answer? And now there's two. See, I underlined two. So you got one? What do you think? Two. boy. Good job. Good job. C and D. Good. I'll leave that flashing. Number two. Last week's, based upon last week's lesson, the concept of separation of church and state was originally intended to do which of those three things? Was it intended to keep the government out of the practice of private worship? Was the separation of church and state intended to keep religious influences out of government policies? Or letter C, was it used to insulate America from non-Christian religions? Phone a friend. What's the right answer? I heard it. Good. It was to keep government out of the practice of private worship. We began yesterday with the thought, with the illustration of what's happening in Houston and those, uh, those pastors who had their sermons uh, subpoenaed because they dealt with uh, the HERO Act down there. And, of course, we now know that that subpoena was uh, relinquished and, and those uh, pastors did not have to do that. But... It was, A, to keep the government out of the practice of private worship. And last one, number three, based upon last week's lesson, the court system has become increasingly, you fill in the blank, sympathetic, hostile, or neutral to religious issues. Hostile, good, good. You saw yesterday, you saw last week that the first few hundred years, first uh, hundred years or so, there was a, a, a great... Uh, amount of, of uh, hand-holding done by the church and the state 
and now it's much more, much more hostile. But I have some new ones for you today. I want you to look at these questions very carefully. I'm going to start with one that I have an asterisk by because you're not going to like this question. You're not going to like this question. But I want you to try to answer it in all sincerity. Okay, look at the first question, number four, actually. Marriage, the term marriage. Marriage is best defined by A, the church. And here we are talking about church and state and the separation that exists. Marriage is best defined by A, the church, because marriage is a religious institution. You've got so many uh, ordinances in the, in, in, the, in the scriptures, from the Lord's Supper to baptism. You find marriage, and of course, we find that immediately in Genesis. And we're going to look at that verse here in just a moment. The church, because it's a religious institution, be the state because it's a civil contract. Does not the state of Michigan have a part? What does the preacher say when when he marries you? What are those words? By the power vested in me, by whom? State. And whether you got married in Michigan or like me, got married in Illinois, the next words out of that preacher's mouth were by the state of Illinois, by the state of Michigan, by the state of Connecticut. Or... Should the answer be marriage is best defined by both church and state because it's both religious and civil? Talk to your friend. What do you think that answer is? A, B, or C? Okay. Oh, you didn't like that, did you? Well, I'm going to tell you something that my students love to hear me say. You're all right. It's a bad question. It's a question I would never ask a class. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's it's a, it's a bad question. Here's why. Because currently, church and state are both trying to define marriage, are they not? Our church says marriage ought to be this way, yes? And we all in this room have an idea about what marriage should look like. Who it's between, how many it's between, how old those people ought to be, you know, all of that. You and I have this concept. But the state, as of Saturday, was it Saturday or Friday? Is it Friday? Is it Friday? I'm a school teacher. All the days are Saturday for us. Okay, we're off. Uh, tomorrow's Saturday. <laughs> uh, but the state tried to define what marriage was. And so we have this awful conflict. Some of you probably said, well, you, you, you go back, uh, you know, the chicken or the egg, right? Well, who was the first to have their shot at marriage? Was it not God? Do the scriptures not say, for this cause a man shall leave who? His father and mother and do what? What's the, what's the verb? Cleave. <laughs> Cleave unto his wife. Right. So there are those of you in this room that say, well, A is the right answer because, well, God started it. You win. But are we not heading to a day, and we took great strides towards that Friday, 
where the state defines what marriage is. And the chaos, now look at that question. You're all right. Nobody has a good definition of what marriage is, if you ask the majority of the people. Okay, now I'm confident. I like day, just between you and me and the fence post. I like day. Okay, let's go to number five. Christian living in a modern society, that's you and I living in 2015 in the state of Michigan. We should, A, expect cultural mores to become more sacred over time, or B, expect cultural mores to become more secular over time. It's not even a hard question, is it? That was a softball, wasn't it? That was an underhand. Okay, that ball was that big. Obviously, the answer is B. If you, if you are sitting here and you are legitimately expecting things to get better, I'd love to live in your world. It must be a beautiful place. I would love to drive to work with you in the car. I, I would like to golf with you. I would like to, I would like to, I, you have a gift. That glass is not proverbially half full. It is, it is overflowing. And you just keep on plugging. But the rest of us in this room realize that this is a sinful world. Is it not? And we know who is going to win. At the front of my Bible, I have written, God wins. Amen to that. God wins. But for now, it's different, isn't it? All right. Look at the last one. Number six. Which of these landmark cases legalized abortion in 1973? Which of those cases legalized abortion in 1973? Was it A... Obergfell versus Hodges, B. Roe versus Wade, C. Abington versus Shemp. Ah, I hear some confusion out there. It was Roe versus Wade. What is A? Where have you heard that? Maybe you haven't yet. You know why I put that in there? Because that was Friday's case. You're going to know Obergfell versus Hodges as well as most of you know Roe versus Wade. Okay, Roe versus Wade are just one of those that we just hang our hat on, go, yeah, everybody knows that one. Okay. Obergfell versus Hodges was the gay uh marriage decision just brought down. Abington versus Shemp, maybe some of you remember from last week, that was the prayer in public schools. Uh when it got tossed. Okay. Good job. I wanted to show you this. This goes back to one of our questions. Just let that soak in for just a moment. Let you read through that. On the left, we have scriptural marriage. And on the right, you have Michigan law, which is actually quite large when it deals with it, but there it is. Is it not interesting how... Our society tries to hold on to to our Christian ethics. Uh, yesterday, the Supreme Court in Massachusetts, you might have seen this, upheld a a a, uh, a statute that said children may not spank their children. 
Did I say that right? Did that come out? Parents may not spank their children. I grew up being spanked. I won't ask for a raise of hands. But I, I was. I was. I was. Now, where does that come from? Who made up and where is it written that parents ought to spank their children? Where does that come from? Is that not Proverbs? Why does President Obama and every other president before him end speeches before the State of the Union address, at the end of the State of the Union address, and he says, after all that, and may God bless America. Why did the president of the country go to eulogize those victims of the South Carolina shooting the other day? And he... He, he acted in a, in a, in a, in a, in a spiritual advisory role. Why does our money continue to say, in God we trust? Do we? Why does our Pledge of Allegiance continue to say, under God? Why do we still have chaplains in the military? Why do we still... Look at the death penalty. Why do we have the death penalty? 37 states have the death penalty. 13 do not. We just saw the Boston bomber. His sentence was handed down. And what did they give him? What did they give him? They gave him the death penalty. Anybody in this room actually believe he's ever going to be sentenced to death? The... The the experts all say that he's going to sit on death row... For the next 30, what is he, 21 years old, until he's, he's going to die in prison. So even the 37 states that have the death penalty, really, other than a few of them, like Texas, really don't use it very much anymore. Why do we have the death penalty? Because it comes from where? It comes from where? It comes from Scripture, does it not? Book of Genesis says, if you shed innocent blood, what happens to you? By man, your blood will be shed. Genesis 9, 6. It's right there. So, fully expect over the next years, incidents like what happened this weekend to continue to happen. We're going to continue to scrub the the remnants of our biblical heritage, our Christian heritage, we're going to continue to see those scrubbed off, just like the Ten Commandments being scrubbed off of the uh, Supreme Court building. You know, it's surrounded with, with the Ten Commandments. Why? Because when it was built, that's what kind of a society we were. So... Don't be shocked when things like what happened this weekend happen. That's going to continue to happen. The next one down the pike might be, who knows, getting rid of in God we trust on our money. Because that's the state, you know, admonishing or or at least uh, uh, supporting some kind of religious venture. Okay. Let's go to the uh, handout, if we could, please. One of the objectives 
that I have for us today and the time we have left, I want to walk through how, how did the Supreme Court come to this? In his decision, the Chief Justice, well, actually one of the Associate Justices, refers to the 14th Amendment. And perhaps over the week you heard, over the weekend, you heard 14th Amendment this, 14th Amendment that, 9th Amendment, 9th Amendment, 10th Amendment, 10th Amendment. For those of you that may have been doing other things in government class, I want to help you with that just a little bit today. Okay? Because, well, it's been my experience that most teenagers are not real interested in the 9th the 10th, the 14th Amendment. They have other things to do, especially now with the advent of cell phones. Okay, let's look at resources uh, A, first of all. We went through this last week, and we'll come back to why I have the word Congress uh, circled there. First of all, we learned this last week, that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. This is known, if you look above, this is known as the Establishment Clause. One of its main intents is to prohibit a theocracy, that is, a government like Saudi Arabia has today, where, where Islam is the state religion and Sharia law is in, in place, and uh, you know everything is done like the Anglican Church in England under Henry VIII. We cannot have a theocracy in this country, and then to promote free and peaceful religious expression. But I want you to now, you know that, I want you to now look at number two. We've all heard of freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion, freedom of what? Assembly. Remember those? We've all heard of those. But if you and I were to be a fly on the wall of the Constitutional Convention, you would find that the very argument that they had about listing those rights was very problematic. For example, if I said to you, what do you want for your birthday? Oh, really? Yeah, let me take out my checkbook. What do you want for your birthday? You would say, uh, new car. Got it. New car. New car. Anything else? Uh, new iPhone. Got it. What else? You say, uh, uh, new golf clubs. Got it. Oh, so you don't want a million dollars? Well, yeah. You, you, you don't, you don't want fill in the blank. Because you didn't mention it means you don't want it. So when the writers of the Constitution originally wrote free speech, free press, free assembly, free religion, all of those that we all know, there were those in the room that said, no, wait a minute, if we go and write those five down, there's going to be a lot of folk that go, well, what about guns? What about, and, and fill in the blank, just because you don't mention it, though, says the Ninth Amendment, it doesn't mean you don't have it. The Ninth Amendment is where abortion comes from. Read it. Read it. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights, speech, press, religion, assembly, petition. Look at the part that I have highlighted. Shall not be construed or meant to deny or disparage others retained by the people. 
So when Norma McCorvey walked into a Texas hospital and said, I need to have an abortion, I've been raped. And Texas law forbade her to get an abortion. She said, Ninth Amendment. Well, she didn't, but her slick attorneys did. She said, Ninth Amendment, Ninth Amendment, Ninth Amendment. What's the Ninth Amendment say? That just because it doesn't say I have the right doesn't mean I don't have it. And we have abortion as a as an outgrowth of the Ninth Amendment. This is where those supporters of gay marriage are getting their traction. Marriage has, through a lot of case law, as some of you answered the question correctly, marriage has for years been decided as a fundamental American right. If you look at Kennedy's decision, he refers back to prison inmates have the right to get married. Years ago, individuals who were behind on child support were not allowed to get married. In Loving versus Virginia, the most famous interracial case in 1967, a black and a white person wanted to get married, and, and, and our culture said, no, they cannot. And the Supreme Court in the 1960s said, well, that's dumb. Your right to get married is clearly in the Ninth Amendment. And so it should come as no surprise to you, if you understand the Ninth Amendment, that what was won by the gay and lesbian community on Saturday, on Friday, has long been coming. In fact, despite your opinion to the contrary, I would argue that you're fighting a losing battle. Because your argument and my argument comes from Scripture. And we've seen over the last week and even today that we are continually divorcing ourselves and distancing ourselves from that. All right? As the state begins to make definitions uh, for marriage. Okay, so that's the Ninth Amendment. Look at the Tenth. Look at resource number three. This is the Tenth Amendment. The Tenth Amendment simply says this, that anything not found in the Constitution, anything not found in there, you don't find marriage in the Constitution. You don't find education laws in the Constitution. There's no such thing. There's nothing in the Constitution about voting Voting age, for example, how elections are run. So the Tenth Amendment simply says, if the Constitution doesn't touch it, it's up to you. Think about when you grew up. Your mom and dad said, Anthony, thou shalt not fill in the blank. Right? We all had different parents. We all had different rules. And they all said... Thou shalt not. And you had five things that you just knew you couldn't do. Well, what about whatever wasn't on the list? Seems to be fair game to me, I said as a teenager. Seems like, well, if dad and mom didn't say, then I suppose it's in my purview to do it. And that's what the Tenth Amendment does. And so for the millions of Americans right now who are saying they are against gay marriage, 
not on the basis of morality, as you or I might do from a scriptural point of view. There are thousands, there are millions of Americans who are approaching this issue from a constitutional argument and saying clearly marriage is not in the Constitution and clearly the Tenth Amendment says then that it's up to the states to decide. The death penalty is not in the Constitution. Now, the Constitution does mention death twice. You shall not be put in twice. You shall not be put twice in jeopardy of you of losing life or limb. The double jeopardy provision. So it's in there, but it's not applied generally as a, as a punishment. And so since the death penalty isn't in the Constitution, we have some states that said, yeah, we're going to do it. And we have some states that say, no, that's not for us. And marriage for the last Since the birth of our country, marriage has been a state issue. And the federal government has observed the tenth and said, all right, hands off. We're not going to touch it. We're not going to touch it. But now, through a Supreme Court decision, the federal government has put its hands on marriage and said, okay, now we're going to, this is ours now. This is ours. And a lot of Americans are clearly up in arms about that. And, well, they should be. All right, that's the Ninth Amendment, the Tenth Amendment. Let's go to uh, number four here. One of the original issues in Obergfell, in the, in the case, this gentleman from Ohio was not allowed to to have his marriage to his partner recognized in the state of Ohio because Ohio said, we don't recognize gay marriage. So he traveled to, where was it, Connecticut? Because Connecticut recognized gay marriage. Now ask yourself this question. In what state were you married? I was married in Michigan. I was married in Illinois. Uh Uh-oh. I remember. I was married in Illinois. Does that mean I'm married in Michigan? Of course. If I'm driving to California and I'm going too fast and Mr. Policeman stops me and he says, you're going too fast. I'd like to see your driver's license. So I pull out my driver's license and it says, Robert Fight, Michigan. Does he find me or does he take that? He accepts it, does he not? Why? Why is my marriage, why is my license, my driver's license at least, good from one state to another? It's right there. It's called the full faith and credit clause. I need you to see that. In article number four of the Constitution, the Constitution has seven articles. The fourth one deals with relations between states. You may or may not know this, but those 13 colonies did not get along very well, much like your house. You know, it all looks good. Behind the scenes, those brothers and sisters, they are tearing each other's eyes out. You know, there's drama. And there was a lot of drama between the 13 colonies. And so when they unified as a country, one of the first things they did was say, all right, boys and girls, we're going to get all this drama taken care of. There will be no taxing each other when you cross each other's borders. There will be no 
discriminating against people from Pennsylvania down in Maryland and you Catholics from Maryland, when you go up to Massachusetts and deal with those Quaker, those Puritans up there, you're all going to get along. You hear me? And so the fourth article simply says, I have it highlighted for you, full faith and credit shall be given in each state to the public acts, records, and judicial proceedings of every other state. Hence, Mr. Oberkfeld took his marriage to court. And he said, how can I, why do I have to go from Ohio to Connecticut to have my marriage recognized? Why isn't my marriage that of anybody else's marriage? And purely from a legal standpoint, one would have to ask the same question because apparently right there in Article 4, it seems quite clear that it should be. And the Supreme Court justices on a 5-4 to decision on Friday agreed with him. That one person's marriage should be good in one state, should be good in another state. If you will flip forward, if you will flip forward to page 2, if you go right down here to the bottom, see the big star? Go down to the very bottom and you'll see the holding in Friday's case. See the big star? Go down to the last bullet point and you'll see Obergfell versus Hodges holding. I want you to read that. Follow as I read. The 14th Amendment requires, said Justice Kennedy, the 14th Amendment requires a state to, one, License a marriage between two people of the same sex. See where he got that now. And now two, to recognize a marriage between two people of the same sex when their marriage was lawfully licensed and performed out of state. That's what was decided on Friday. And hopefully now you can see the legal ramifications for where, from where the legal minds and really popular opinion of the United States came from. All right? It's, it's right there. It's right there. I want you to look at the star. I have it starred for a reason. Let's look at the 14th Amendment quickly. The 14th Amendment is a dangerous, dangerous... Well, I say dangerous... It can be very helpful, too. But the 14th Amendment, I've contended for many years, is the most important amendment in the entire Constitution. Our Constitution has 27 amendments. They've been passed. Over 10,000 have been proposed. 27 have been passed. That means that an amendment is a very special, very unique thing. Something had to really be important for it to pass. The 14th, I have always contended, and that's just me, but I've always put the 14th Amendment right there at the top of the most important ones of them all. And you say, well, my goodness, what certainly could it be? I want you to notice what the 14th Amendment simply says, and I have it starred for you. It says this. Now, of course, this was in reference to slavery. The 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments are all what we call the slave amendments or the Civil War Amendments because they dealt in one way or another the ramifications of the Civil War. The 13th Amendment got rid of slavery. The 14th Amendment arguably made 
everyone born or naturalized here a citizen, and the 15th Amendment gave anybody born or naturalized here the right to vote. So if you look at the wording of the 14th Amendment carefully, here's what it says by the star. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state, note that it's circled. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What did we determine that marriage was a few minutes ago? It's a state issue. And here in the 14th Amendment, clearly, it says no state shall make, or like Michigan, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities, just cross that out and put marriage, of the citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, Liberty. What's a word that we use for liberty today? Freedoms, choices, okay? Or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Any person. Define any person. Tall? Do they get rights? Do tall people have rights? What was that song in the 70s? Short people got, right? Remember that? Do short people have rights? Everybody has rights, right? The 14th Amendment clearly says that if you're a citizen born or naturalized here, that you have the equal protection and the full weight of the Constitution behind you. The question that I'm left with, the decision was five to four on Friday. That shocks me. Now, personally, I wish it would have gone different. But, but it shocks me from an educational standpoint how it was that close. Because it's fairly clear in the Constitution if we're willing to say and if we're willing to depart from religious and moral, if you will, views, who has and who doesn't have rights. Okay. Now, my time is almost gone, and, and I've, I've put a lot of resources in here, but I want you to, if you will, go to resources C, and in the next five minutes, I want us to see a few things. It says this, Christians and civil government will be at odds with one another. Would you agree with that statement? I think so. I think so. I want you to notice letter A. The goals of civil government are secular, while those of Christianity are sacred. I have a very different agenda than does President Obama. I I have a very different agenda than Governor Snyder. I have a very different agenda than, than all of the politicians. What's my agenda when I wake up tomorrow morning? What do I want to do? Glorify Christ, right? Whoever I meet, whoever I talk to, wherever I go, guess what they're going to get? I hope. They're going to get Jesus. 
That's what they're going to get. That's my agenda. That everybody that hears me, sees me, talks to me, has coffee with me, knows that I love Jesus. That's not President Obama's agenda, nor is it Governor Snyder's. So I need you to, first of all, understand, letter A, that the goals of civil government are secular, while those of Christianity are sacred. Our values and citizenship compete with each other. Look at the scripture that I've associated with it. In 1 Peter 1.1, Peter, an apostle to Jesus Christ, to God's elect, what's the word he calls us by? Exiles. What's an exile? Someone who doesn't belong. You've been kicked out. Gang, I'm an exile. You're in exile. You don't belong here. Where's your home? What are you? I'm a pilgrim. In the, in the, in the scope of eternity, the time I spend on this earth, on a timeline, is a fraction. I'm just a visitor here. So my agenda, as I think yours also should be, is very, very different. If you flip the page over. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Letter B, the culture, the government now sees Christianity as hostile. I think we've established that rather than an ally. But don't be under, don't be misled by that. Don't be surprised by that, rather. Acts 5.29, Peter and the other apostles replied, quote, we must obey God. Look at the rather than. What's that give to you? That indicates a controversy, yes? Now, I I trust that you and I never come to a point where I have to make a choice like uh, Daniel did in the lion's den. I hope I never get faced with a deny God or jump in that pit. I I trust that I'll never be there. I know it happens in other countries, but I trust that in America my Constitution will defend me and that I'll never have to do that. But Scripture is clear that we are at odds with our society. Do not, it says in 1 John 3.13, be surprised if the world hates you. Go on, I dare you. I dare you. Go out this weekend and state your mind about the case. What will you receive? You will be, you will be on, the, as it's been called, the wrong side of history. Right? You'll be wrong thinking. You'll be, you'll be, You know what I mean. (laughs) You're one of those fundies. You know, you belong over at Westboro. You're out of, you're out of touch. Do not be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Let her see and we'll be done. The most famous passage on government and Christians is Romans chapter 13. Just look through that. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. For there is no authority except that which God has established, established by God. They are God's servants over and over and over. I'll leave you with this. Who wrote Romans? Paul. What happened to Paul at the end of his life? How did Paul's life come to an end? How did he how did he die? He was beheaded by whom? He was beheaded by a Roman Caesar named start with an N. Nero. Nero was not in his right mind. Nero, Nero famously burned Rome down and blamed it on the Christian, Christians. Rome, Nero had a habit of taking Christians and throwing them into the Colosseum. Nero was a madman with an agenda against Christianity. 
What did Paul say about him? Let everyone be subject. God has put Nero into place. Nero is God's servant. (laughs) If anybody can tell me to obey my government, pray for my authority, respect it, it'd be the Apostle Paul. So what am I going to go out and do tomorrow? Leave you with this. Last quiz question. We'll be done. Which of these two options should a Christian pursue in light of the recent Supreme Court decision? A, let's go out and plan non-peaceful rebellions and refuse to pay our taxes. Who's with me? Let's do this. Put your hand down, John. All right. Let's rally and grab our guns and what? Or should it be, letter B, peaceful protest and challenge through legal processes and C or C, faithfully continue to do God's business? I think the answers are very clear. And as we leave today, let's be reminded that our citizenship is not on this earth. This earth will continually let us down. We are going to be disappointed last Friday. We're going to be disappointed this next Friday. We're going to be disappointed the Friday after and the Friday after. And you let me know when we're not going to be disappointed. You know the Friday that we won't be disappointed is the Friday when Jesus comes back. Amen. Let's pray and go home. Father, we love you and we do anticipate your appearing. And we pray, Jesus, that uh, you will give us the ability to represent you well this week. Help us to... Uh, be good testimonies wherever we find ourselves and the others may smell Christ and see Christ and know that Christ is, is, is in and through us. We pray in his name. Amen. Good afternoon.